And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. So we're looking at uh, the rich ruler. A lot of us probably know him as the rich young ruler, uh, as he's mentioned in the book of Mark. Uh, this, this passage here that we're looking at is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it's not found in the book of John. And, we, and here Luke has this in context with the publican and the Pharisee. So if you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, the passage where uh, the Pharisee and the publican or tax collector in our vernacular uh, go into the temple. The Pharisee just says, Lord, look at all the stuff that, that I do for you. You know, aren't I just amazing? Isn't it? I'm just so good. And then we have the tax collector who's like the lowest of the low. Uh, in our in today, it would probably be Florida State mascot, just the lowest of the low. And uh, <laughs> I'm just making sure y'all are awake. My, my 8.30 crowd was pretty lively this morning. So, uh, but, uh, but, you know, just lowest of low. And he goes in and he says, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus says, one of those, the tax collector, went away justified. Uh, whereas the, the Pharisee did not. And it's in this context that we get to uh, the rich ruler, the young ruler. Uh, and in here, it's kind of interesting. He first starts off in verse 18. It says, And the ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, it sounds like a great question, right? What must I do to inherit good, uh, eternal life? But I want to bring up something here right at the beginning that should automatically be flagging in your head. Notice the title he gives Jesus. Good teacher. Now, the issue here is not that Jesus wasn't a teacher, but that he wasn't just a teacher. As a matter of fact, if you read throughout the Gospels, anytime someone comes up to Jesus and calls him teacher or rabbi, generally they're about to be told that they are wrong. And it all, it, you, go, you go throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read anytime someone says uh, teacher, rabbi, anything like that, most of the time they're, they're going to have some incorrect assumption. As a matter of fact, if you look at Mark, the book of Mark, whenever Judas goes and betrays Jesus, Judas actually, right before he kisses him, calls him rabbi. Uh, so that should tell you right there. If you go into the question having the wrong presupposition about who Jesus is, the wrong assumption about who Jesus is, you're going to get everything wrong. And so here when we look at this passage, we see here the ruler comes and says, Hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We see here that right here at the beginning... This ruler already has Jesus incorrect. It wasn't just that he wasn't a teacher. It was that he was not merely just a teacher. As a matter of fact, he says the word good teacher right there, right? Probably getting ready to, you know, kind of indulge him, you know, if you will. It's kind of like uh, whenever I graduated with my master's, I told my wife that from now on she had to call me master. You know, that's, that is my degree. I am Master Tyler. 
Uh, that did not work out too well. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, but you know, I told my wife that yeah, that's what you got to do. But also at the same time, teaching youth, if I have a student come up to me and says, you were the guy I was told to come and see. Like I was told to come to you in order to find out this answer. I know they're buttering me up for something that I really don't want to be a part of, right? And that's kind of what this ruler is doing. And so the question is then, what, who is this ruler, right? What, what is this ruler? What does he do? Why is he getting all of this wrong? Well, more than likely, this ruler is a leader in the Sanhedrin, specifically a Sadducee. So at this time, there were two primary religious leaders. Uh, there were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. You see, the Sadducees were actually the most depressed of the groups because they were sad, you see. Hey, I didn't say they'd be good. I just said you get jokes. Didn't say they'd be good. <laughs> but no. So you have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. You just get that one, Miss Lisa. Oh, yeah, I got hear you. That's right. Uh, <laughs> oh, you got the gator. I, I, you already tuned out after that. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so no, the, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees uh, accepted the entire Old Testament, what we would consider to be the Old Testament today, everything from Genesis through Malachi. But the Pharisees, or excuse me, the Sadducees only accepted Genesis through uh, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses, the books of the law. And so because of this, they had some uh, discrepancies when it came to theological matters. You see this, uh, spoiler alert, in two chapters, we'll talk about uh, the Sadducee coming to Jesus and asking him about marriage in, 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 the, in the eternal life. You see, Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in an afterlife. Uh, and the reason why was just because it's not something that's mentioned a lot in the first five books of the Old Testament. And so because of that, they said, well, it's not here. We don't believe it. And so there were a lot of issues between Jesus and the Sadducees theologically. And so probably what's happening right now, just as when the Sadducees later are going to come to Jesus and say, hey, there's this woman and she was married and then that husband died and she got married again and that husband died and she got married again and that husband died and she got married again and that husband died. She got married again and that husband died and then she got married again and that husband died. When she dies, who is she going to be married to in eternal life? Basically trying to get a, you know, a gotcha. You know, statement in there. Ha ha, Jesus, got you on this one. Uh, and then Jesus flips it around and says, well, that's kind of dumb. There is no marriage in heaven. You know, and, and basically just, just dismantles the premise of the question. It's possible here that what this ruler is trying to do is, is uh, butter up Jesus in order to get him on something else. But we see here that Jesus doesn't take it. As a matter of fact, in verse 19, it says, And Jesus said to them, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, question, is anything good? Absolutely. Free queso. Free queso is always a good thing. That's right. You know what I'm talking about, Katie. Free queso is always a good thing. My son, whenever he's laughing and running around having a good time, that is great. When he's crying, that is bad. But when he's happy and running around and laughing, that is great. That is good. And so the question is here, why is Jesus saying no one is good except God? Well, Jesus isn't just saying nothing is good. You know, everything's terrible. You know, uh, everything's dark. And that's, that's not what he's saying right here. You see, the Sadducees uh, only reserved the, the, the uh, adjective good for God. And so here, when Jesus is, 
having this ruler come to him and this ruler says, good teacher, already he's probably flagging up, oh, something's going on here. And so he calls him out on this belief. Isn't there you know, nothing good except God alone? In other words, I know, what's go- I know what you're trying to do. But then he says, uh, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he turns and begins to answer the question. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Right? These are, these are all, we would say, good commandments, right? You know, I, I honestly tell my students, don't kill each other uh, all the time. And, and so that's, that's definitely a, a good trait. Notice here that of the list of commandments, we have five commandments. Now, there are ten commandments, correct? Which leaves how many left? Yeah, that's right. I got that wrong earlier. I said six. <laughs> that's right. We'll call the county school system right here. No, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, we got five left over, right? Well, the, of those five left over, four detail one relationship with God, right? You have, you shall not have any other gods for me. You shall not, uh, you know, make idols. You shall keep, have the Sabbath day, keep it holy. All those detail uh, one's relationship with God. Then you have six that details one's relationship with man. Five of those six are here. We're missing one. Does anyone want to take a guess which one we're missing? Go ahead, Mary. Uh, do not covet your neighbors. Yeah, you had it right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do not cover your neighbor's household, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's wife. Do not covet. And I, I think it's kind of interesting in context that he leaves out covetousness here within this passage, especially since we're about to talk about money and everything. Because normally whenever we covet something, right, it's normally some sort of material uh, item that we covet. We normally don't covet each other's, uh, you know, oh, I wish I had that personality, right? It's, oh, man, I wish I had that Tesla, you know, or, oh, man, I wish I had, you know, right? <laughs> Hunter's like, yeah, absolutely, I understand that one. You normally covet somebody's stuff. You don't normally covet personality traits. Uh, but he leaves out covetousness in this section. And this man, as soon as he hears all this, begins to get giddy. Right? He turns, this is verse 21, he said, I have kept all of these since my youth, from my youth. In other words, I, I've done it. I've done it. This is amazing. And really, I think me, myself, and, and probably most of us in here can identify with this ruler. Right? You know, whenever we, you, we were, our lives are ruled by to-do lists. Right, so like every day on my on my phone, I have a reminders app, and I have a whole bunch of checklists through there. And depending on how many check boxes I get to go through, depends on whether or not I have a good day or I have a bad day. So if I have like six check boxes in one day, and I do two of them, well, that probably wasn't that good of a day. If I do four of them, uh, mediocre. If I get six, I'm going for that free queso. You know, I'm I'm going to party hardy because that has been a great day. And really, I think a lot of us live by this. Right? So when we think about spiritual uh, lives, right, we think about, well, I've been to church. I read my Bible, or I at least listened to that one Christian song in the radio this week. You know, we, we sit there and say, okay, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Okay, now I've got expert level holiness for the rest of the week. You know, until something bad happens, in which case, then it goes down, and then, you know, you listen to that one uh, song again, and then, you know, it goes right back up, right? I think a lot of us probably do this. I know I do this a lot in my own life. 
Uh, I sit there and go, okay, am, am I studying enough? Am I listening enough? Am I, am I around the people enough? And, and if so, then yeah, I kind of sit there and go, okay, yeah, I've, I've, I've hit that mark. If not, uh, I've done really poorly this week. I can really identify with the ruler here because here, you think about this, he is trying to inherit eternal life. Now, there's a key difference in what he says, inherit eternal life, to what Jesus actually says later on in verse 30. But here he is trying to work his way into heaven, and here Jesus says, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. He's going, I've made it. I didn't just start these like yesterday, I've been doing this since my youth. Like, I've made it, I've, I've, I've hit the mark. I got all six of my to-do list things done. I am doing amazing, right? And actually what Jesus is doing right here is setting him up for the alley-oop, right? This is Dwayne Wade throwing the ball up to LeBron James so that way he could just dunk it and shame the other team, right? That was a late, that was a really, really old uh, analogy. They're not on the same team anymore. Um, but that is the best alley-oop that there ever was. Uh, but anyway, wow. <laughs> do I need to do nerd jokes now? Start talking about Lord of the Rings? Okay, just to, just to make sure. The other, the other group didn't like my nerd stuff, uh, so I went with sports metaphors this time, but uh, I guess it's not working out too well. Uh, but anyway, so Jesus is setting him up right here. I, this guy says, I've done all of these. And then Jesus says, verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you lack one thing, one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, a question that we must ask as a society, especially as a church, Jesus right here is advocating for this man to go and sell every single thing that he has. Does that mean that Jesus hates money? Now, those of you who have money will probably say, no, Jesus doesn't hate money. Those of you who don't have money typically are the ones who go, yeah, absolutely, Jesus hates money. You know, sell everything, socialism, you know, you know, utopia, all that good stuff. And we must ask this question seriously because so many times you see online or, you know, in the news cycle that Jesus is such a, Jesus, Jesus was an absolute capitalist or Jesus was an absolute socialist. So let's do this. Let's look and see what scripture has to actually say about this. And probably the one that those who uh, believe that Jesus does not like money would turn to 1 Timothy, right? They would turn to 1 Timothy and they would say, look what Paul says in Timothy. You see, Paul says in Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, in the King James specifically, uh, money is the root of all evil. Now, if you look in all the other translations, it says all kinds of evil. Now, there's a difference there. Money is the root of all evil or all kinds. It means it's one of, but is, is pretty underlying in there. It's, it's one of the causes. And so you have to look and see what actually is the text trying to say. And so since I've you know, spent a lot of time reading Greek and I had to justify it for some reason, uh, I went ahead and looked in and I would have to agree with the ESV and other translations. He's not saying there that money is the root of all evil. And the reason why is if you look even into the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was no money in the garden. So if, if money is the root of all evil, and sin entered into humanity at the garden, money would have had to have been present. But if you look and see exactly what was introduced into the garden, 
You see, it wasn't money at all. What caused Adam and Eve to sin? It was the temptation to be what? Like God. See, Adam and Eve sinned not because they wanted thousands of dollars. Adam and Eve sinned because they wanted God's spot. And really, if you think about sin, what is the root sin? What is the chief of all sins? The chief of all sins is this, idolatry. Now, today, idolatry does not look like how it did back in the uh, ancient Israeli times, right? Where they were building totems, they were building altars to sacrifice. Let's face it, us as Americans, most of the time, I, our, our idolatry is the worship of ourselves. I-dolatry, if you will. As a matter of fact, it's, well, I want to do this, right? I always think of the commercial, uh, I believe it was one of those payday loan things. It's my money, I want it now, you know? And and everybody goes off and yells that, and then, you know, all they do is they put you into a big scam. Uh, Yeah, so it's my stuff. This is what I want to do. And the fact is, is that when we accept Jesus as Lord, I is no longer relevant. As a matter of fact, it's I surrender to you whatever you have me to do, Jesus. As a matter of fact, we see here in this statement that Jesus says, sell all your possessions and follow me. Jesus right here was not telling him that his big issue was only money. It was that money was indeed in the place where God was supposed to be. And so faced with this fact... Here Jesus exposes this man's sin. He he shows him where he falls short, right? Shows him where he falls short, and notice what he says. Verse 23, Luke writes, But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Notice here, you don't see that this ruler comes to him and says, Absolutely, I repent. Let me turn. As a matter of fact, you hear him say he became sad, but nowhere else in this passage does it say he follows. You see, this man's sin was exposed, but he would have to get rid of his idol. And he was not about that. And so Jesus then, it says in verse 24, it says, Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Once again, if money is your idol, which, let's be honest with you, as Americans, we have a lot of wealth. We could probably all identify with this statement right here. Because of this, we see that that idol is causing this man to miss out on what he hoped he would inherit. But I want to shift away for just a second from our main topic to talk about this, this phrase, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle uh, than for a rich person into the kingdom of God. The eye of the needle here, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a needle. Those of you who are scared of needles would say needles are normally like this big. You know, and those of you who are okay with needles would say, you know, it's about yay big right there. Especially those of you who are sewers, right? You have at the top of that needle a little eye that you put the thread through, right? Sometimes you have to, you know, stick in your mouth and then you can uh, thread it through, right? But needless to say, the eye of the needle is very, very small. And so Jesus here says this the craziest thing. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I don't know if you've seen camels uh, I know probably most of us have seen a like National Geographic or maybe a zoo, uh, but, ne- or, but camels are like huge. 
Like they're like ginormous, right? They're, they're just gigantic. And so here, Jesus goes to the absurd to illustrate that it is impossible for a camel to go through a needle. And specifically, what he's trying to say is it's impossible for one to, on their own merits, gain salvation. And so here we, we see this thing. And a lot of times you'll see a lot of uh, preachers say, well, actually, what the eye of the needle is, is a gate. You see, we don't know the true meaning of this passage because we're not in the first century. You have to go to archaeology and look at the first century. And there was this gate called the eye of the needle. It was really small and a camel could not fit through unless it got on its knees. And then it could you know, finally hobble on its knees through and get through the gate. And that's how we should come to Jesus on our knees. It sounds great, right? sounds really good. There's one issue with that. Uh, there is no such gate as the eye of the needle. It never has, you know, there's no archaeological evidence showing that it is. It just sounds great. Why? Because it means that we have the possibility of coming on our own to God for salvation. That's what that is trying to accomplish. If we just get on our knees, if we humble ourselves enough, if we listen to two Christian songs this week instead of the one, we can possibly come before God. But we can look and see what the meaning of this message is just by looking in context of this passage. Because here, it's not too, fur, uh, too much further down in verse 27 that he says... But he said, what is impossible with man is impossible, or what is impossible for man is possible for God. What Jesus is trying to illustrate right here is not that what we need to do is get on our knees and finally we can work our way enough to where we can inherit eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that we on our own cannot inherit eternal life. And there is a difference between inheritance and as we see in verse 30, receiving. Inheritance means that based off some sort of merit, you are going to gain whatever it is. So, for instance, here in Wakulla County, uh, we have some families who have been here for multiple generations. And because of that, there are large tracts of land uh, that will be passed down throughout the, uh, throughout, you know, the generations, right? And so all you have to do is be born into that family and you will eventually get some land. I almost got 20 acres the other day, but it got taken away from me. I was deeply sad because it was in good hunting area. And, uh, and as someone who is just a little bit redneck enough, it made me have a little bit of a tear. But how do you gain that? You gain that because of who you are, because of your standing. You see, you do not get salvation because of who you are. David does not get salvation because he's pastor of First Baptist. Tyler does not get salvation because he's the youth pastor at First Baptist. You do not get salvation for sitting in this pew today. The reason why you have salvation is because you received it from the Lord Jesus Christ. Not based off anything you have done, but because what he would do in a couple more chapters. That is, he would go to the cross and die a sinner's death. He would take on your sin. He would die to that. And then he would rise from the grave. And in rising from the grave, he would defeat death and defeat sin. And only through that... Do we have the ability to have salvation? Not because of anything that we do, but because of everything of what God did. You see, what is impossible for man is only possible for God. And so the truth that we need to look at today is this. That salvation is not anything that we do, but it is everything that God does. And so my question for you is this. Do you believe? 
that salvation is possible on your merits or only God. And I know that seems kind of crazy to ask to a church crowd, but let's face it. Most of the time, we fall into we believing we can earn our own salvation. If I can just earn so many holiness points by listening to this, by reading this, by reading this book, by listening to this pastor... We fall into this trap time and time again. My question is this. Do we really believe this? Do we really believe this? Now here at the end of this passage, we have Peter that rises. And honestly, if I can identify with one figure in the Bible, with one person, it'd be Peter. Because Peter like at times gets it. And then there are times where he doesn't. And Peter right here reminds me of like a child, right? So I have, I have my three-year-old. Uh, he's, he's about yay high. And I have my sister has uh, daughters, my niece, who's about going on five now. And my son is a typical boy, climbs over everything, right? If you're, st- if you're sitting down, he's going to climb on top of your head. It's just what he does. He's, he climbs everything. And my niece is very prim and proper, and, you know, you could tell has been, uh, the rod has not been uh, with, withheld from her and understands how to sit properly and everything like that. And my niece will come up to me and go, Uncle Tyler, Uncle Tyler, uh, Thorin is doing this. And I'll go, okay, well, Thorin, stop. And she'll turn and say, I didn't do that. And that's exactly what Peter does here. Peter says, uh, when he hear, hears this, he says, Oh, excuse me, I've I've just lost my place. Where where am I at? Um, 28, there we go. He says, and Peter said, thank you so very much. I appreciate that. He says, so see, we left our homes and followed you. You know, kind of like how my my niece does that, right? Hey, Jesus, you just kind of laid into this dude and was like, yeah, no, everything you've done is wrong. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this over here, but uh, we've all left our homes, right? Peter's actually a long way away from home at this point. And then Jesus turns to him in verse 29 and says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or his wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time in the age to come eternal life. And here we see that the premise of this ruler's question was fraught right from the beginning. This ruler asked, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus right here at the end says, the only way you can gain eternal life is through receiving it. And so as we go into this time of invitation, as we go and and close out uh, this time that we're together, my question to you is this, have you received? The gospel. I think specifically in our context, especially as Bible Belt Americans, we think that because we are in a specific family, because our family members perhaps have been in ministry, because my family has been in a church for over a hundred years, I have inherited eternal life. But let's face it, Jesus right here says that it is impossible for you to do just that. You must receive it. And how do you do that? Jesus says right there, follow me. And so the question that we have today is this. Have you followed Jesus? And if you have followed Jesus, if you answer yes to that question, my question to you is this. 
Is Jesus still the one that you are following? Has anything taken his place? Because idolatry, as we see in this passage, will lead us astray. Putting anything in that position will lead us astray. However, surrendering and receiving is how we gain everything. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We, we praise you. We honor you. We thank you for allowing us to be here. Father, we praise you for your word. Father, we praise you for the gift that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray today as we go into this time of invitation and reflection that, Father, you would expose to us the sin that we have in our lives. That, Father, that when we, uh, since we come to this word, Lord, that you would just expose how we can follow you that much more closely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go into a time of invitation. Uh, and during this time, we're going to ask for a few responses. Uh, one is to reflect on the passage. One individually, think upon the passage. Ask the Lord, how, how can I follow this more? How can I be a better follower of you? Uh, if you are here and you are not a Christian, uh, we would ask you to seriously consider following Jesus. If you'd like to know more about that, I'll be right up here at the front. Uh, also, to be thinking about corporately. How can we as a church follow Christ more? How can we make sure that we have not put any idols up in the place of Christ in our own, in our, in our, as our body uh, as we go out into this community? Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.